Are you growing? Uh, while our family was in the US for eight months uh, of this year, I was certainly growing uh, by a rate of about one kilogram per month. Uh, if you've ever been to the US, you know that uh, they love to help you grow. <laughs> Your options in terms of food is <laughs> uh, basically aimed at that end. So in, in one sense, though, I've stopped growing. I've reached my peak height. Uh, my body doesn't need to uh, do any more developing. Uh, physically, you would say my body is mature. And yet, in another sense, I continue to grow. I continue to grow in uh, knowing my wife and learning more about her and, and how I can love her well. I continue to grow in knowing more about my children and how I can uh, nurture them and, and love them and, and shepherd them well. I continue to grow in my understanding of the world, in my understanding of Darwin, in my understanding of my friends and the people around me. You know, that's all well and good, but the question that we need to ask ourselves this morning is one uh, from our passage that has a far more vital focus. That is, are you growing spiritually? Are you growing spiritually? As we saw last week, and as Roger just read for us a moment ago, Paul has just finished talking about how the wisdom of God overturns worldly wisdom. He talks about how uh, the wisdom of God just doesn't make any sense to the natural person. He's also made it very clear that those who are spiritually mature are those who have the mind of Christ. That was the last verse in chapter 2 that we just read. These spiritually mature people discern spiritual things. They understand and they believe in the gospel. Well, here in our passage this morning, we will see Paul become even clearer about the state of the Corinthians' spiritual lives and the importance of recognizing that living things grow. Living things grow. So this morning, as we work our way through this short passage of four verses, I have three points. The first of which is, infants need milk. Infants need milk. Let's look at our first couple of verses there. If you've got them, you can obviously in your Bibles uh, right there. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. For you were not ready for it. As Paul, uh, now in this, in this section, in the next part of his letter, he shifts the attention uh, from speaking about the wisdom and the characteristics of a spiritual person to now talking about the spiritual state of these Corinthians, this church, these people that he is writing this letter to. And he makes use of, as he turns to this, a very universal image that all of us are very familiar with. After all, every human being on earth can relate to it because all of us at some point in our lives all drank milk as our only source of nutrition. It's common knowledge. Everybody knows that babies need milk. The birth of little Zephaniah, right there, he's only, what, two weeks old? Has reminded us of this very truth. Beck needs to feed him. And she needs to do this in order for Zephaniah to grow. 
without milk, he will die. And so Paul takes an observation from everyday life, which is so self-evident that there is no way that you can mistake what he is trying to say. He's saying, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And so what's he saying to the Corinthians? You are babies. You're spiritual babies. I don't think you could be any clearer about the state of these Corinthian Christians. And yet, having said that, once again, as he's done already a few times in this letter, he addresses the Corinthians as brothers. And as we talked about before, uh, that means everybody. That's a generic term to refer to everybody in the church, including women. And so Paul is affirming here at the, chap- at the beginning of chapter 3 that this ragtag group of Christians, this group of Christians that uh, have so many problems, as, as we will get into further on into the letter, he's confirming that they are true Christians. And in order to be a Christian, a person needs to be born again which is exactly the language that Jesus uses when he talks to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus, in that passage, he talks to this Pharisee who comes and sees him at night and asks him some questions. He says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This language that Jesus used is language that Christians have used over the centuries and they refer to it also using a word called regeneration. And regeneration refers to this work of spiritual birth that God brings about in the life of a believer when they put their faith in Him. And so Paul is in this passage using that same language and not denying the genuine work of regeneration in the lives of the Corinthian Christians, in the lives of the Corinthian church. He's saying uh, that he truly believes that they are born again. But they're still infants. They're still babies. Now, we ought to ask ourselves the question, is there anything wrong with being a baby? You might get that sense because of uh, the way Paul seems to be talking here. But the answer is, of course not. There's nothing wrong with being a baby. Uh, you know, could you imagine telling off a three-week-old uh, for not eating his vegetables? Uh, that just sounds so ridiculous, doesn't it? You, you're not going to do that because the baby is what a baby is. You, you, you can't tell them off for, for not being an adult. They're not there yet. And so a baby, when they drink milk, uh, they get all the nutrients they need. As a matter of fact, milk is the best thing for an infant to be having and eating at this stage of their lives. And so it is with the spiritually reborn. So it is for the newborn who has just come to faith in Jesus. They are a spiritual infant and there is nothing wrong with them feeding on milk. I don't know if you've ever been around a person uh, who has just come to faith in Jesus, who has just recently turned from their sin and professed faith in Him. More often than not, you're not discussing things like the intricacies of the, the hypostatic union of Jesus, you know. You're not talking about those sorts of mat- matters. And depending on what kind of background that person has had when they first came to Christ, the, the, depending on the background that they had when God saved them, Uh, usually 
They are simply clinging to the gospel, clinging to that good news that I am a sinner, but Jesus has saved me. Normally, they're just establishing good Bible reading habits and, and prayer habits, doing, taking small steps like rearranging their lives in order to ensure that they can be part of a local church and be committed to it. Looking at, looking at obvious, clear sins that they're struggling with and dying to that. Infants in Christ need spiritual milk. They need to be reminded of core truths that are foundational to believing in God and to living as a child of God. They need to be discipled by other mature brothers and sisters in Christ. They need to be cared for and nurtured for by their church family. They need the care and affection of a loving mother because infants need milk. So please don't mishear me on this point, and we're about to get into it a bit more with what Paul is saying. But before we get to that, you need to understand and grasp that a spiritual infant is not something to be looked down upon. There is nothing wrong with being a spiritual infant. There is nothing shameful about being a baby in Christ. For a person to be reborn, as a matter of fact, and made alive in Christ is one of the most precious and amazing things that will ever happen in the universe. Matthew, uh, sorry, Luke 15.10 tells us that angels rejoice uh, when, uh, when a sinner repents. Have you been born again yet? Have you been spiritually regenerated? Because you know, at the very core of being a follower of Christ is this very idea. To repent from sin means to turn from it and to reject the desires of this life and to put our faith and our trust only in Jesus. You see, God made all of us to love and live for and worship Him. But ever since sin came into the world, every human being, every person that has ever lived has rejected God and has instead chosen to live for themselves. And that's why Jesus talks about being born again. Because before you turn from sin and believe in Jesus, you're living a different life. You're living a life as a son or a daughter of the gods of this world. Whether they be money, power, self, comfort. And such gods are doomed for destruction. And that life leads to a head-on collision with the judgment of God in hell. Jesus calls you calls me, calls us to die to that life, to die to living to the gods of this world and to be born again through faith in Him. He calls you to respond to His grace by believing in His Son who died on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago. He calls you to turn from your sin and to trust in Him as Savior and surrender your life to Him. And if you haven't done that today, I urge you to do so. Because when you do, you will be born again. Your life will be His. And you'll begin the journey of growing as a child of the Most High God. And our physical lives are like this, aren't they? When we're born, we drink mother's milk, then we grow And then, before you know it, we're bigger than our parents, 
We're still living at home. We don't move out. There's a natural trajectory to life, to our physical bodies, isn't there? To the growth of our bodies. The 300 bones in your body that you are born with, all right, they fuse and they grow and harden so that by the time you're an adult, you only end up with 206. The ratio of the size of your head compared to the rest of your body slowly decreases so that your head doesn't take up half of your entire body. Your skin, your muscles, and your organs, they all expand and grow. There is a natural trajectory to the growth of your physical body. And in the same way, there is a natural trajectory to the spiritual life. And that is what Paul is getting at in these verses. That is what he's getting at when he addresses the Corinthians here. Because he's saying when a person is born again, when they are spiritually reborn, what we start to see is a change and growth in their lives. Where once they hungered after the treasures and the pleasures of this world, they start to find that their appetite for those things diminishes. Where once they had an insatiable thirst for success and for the adoration of the friends and the people and the peers around them, they now realize that the only one worth pleasing is God. This is the normal Christian life. This is what we expect of a Christian, of somebody who has been spiritually regenerated. And so when Paul says that he couldn't address the Corinthians as spiritual people, when he says that he had to address them as people of the flesh and as infants in Christ... He's not saying that infants are bad, that to be an infant is bad. He's saying that the Corinthians should have grown. In the, in the intervening years from when he first planted the church, shared the gospel with them, saw them come to faith in Christ, and where they are now, what he's saying is that, no, you shouldn't be here still. And that is a problem. Paul's saying, you've shown no progress in the faith and I have to now go back to the basics. And that's what he's just done, isn't it? We, as we've talked about over the last few weeks, Paul's just spent a good amount of time in this letter already talking about why the wisdom of God, why the wisdom of the cross is a wisdom that upends the wisdom of this world. He's had to go back to the beginning and explain the reason why these Corinthians should not be trusting in the wisdom of these other great orators and these other philosophers that they keep trying to boast in. And that kind of culture, Paul is saying, of, of them starting to, to listen to what other Corinthians who don't know Jesus are saying and starting to actually be tempted by them and thinking, yeah, what these guys have to say is good. And starting to have the same kind of attitude of them as them in, in boasting in the teachers and I follow Paul and I follow Apollos, this cultural thing that they have grasped a hold of that is around them. Paul is saying that has not resulted in spiritual growth in you guys. As a matter of fact, it has served to send you backwards. You're now back at the beginning. Let's read from verse 2 again. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? 
In this section, we see four fours, which I've underlined for you in the, on the screen. And each one gives explanation to the sentence that comes before it. Why did Paul give them milk and not solid food? Well, because they weren't ready. And they're still not ready. Why are they still not ready? Because they're still of the flesh. And how does Paul know that they are still of the flesh? Because there is jealousy and strife among them. That's proof that they're acting just like everybody else in a human way. And why is, it, why is that being of the flesh? Well, because when you say that you follow different teachers like Paul or Apollos saying those things, you're acting just like the pagans all around you. Paul shows the Corinthians that they are still spiritual infants because they are acting like worldly people. That there is no discernible difference between you and the Corinthians around you. He says, I can't talk to you like you're a spiritual person, like someone who loves Christ, like somebody who has surrendered their lives to Christ because you look just like them. You're acting like a natural person, as he talked about in the passage before this one. A person who does not know God's wisdom and who does not accept it. You're bickering and you're fighting and you're boasting. It might as well be in the public square. That's not what those with the mind of Christ do. Paul's not disappointed in the Corinthians simply because they're infants. He's disappointed in them because they shouldn't be. They are still of the flesh. He's calling out his brothers and sisters in Christ for their lack of spiritual maturity because it's a sign that they are in serious danger. Because living things grow. And they are not growing. You may not be aware of this, but some people have actually taken these verses from this section that we're looking at and used them to justify uh, what, that, what some call being a carnal Christian. Carnal meaning like fleshly. And so what they mean is that based on this text, because Paul still sees them as Christians, as we talked about, because he addresses them as brothers and sisters, even though he's saying that they're of the flesh, well, clearly there must be a category of Christian where you can still maintain your faith uh, even though you're still chasing after worldly things. So they say, hey, that's possible, that's okay. And so if somebody lives the rest of their lives like that, it's fine, they're still a Christian. Please hear me clearly this morning. That is wrong. And it is a misapplication of this text that has damned people to hell. That's not what Paul's trying to say here. He isn't telling the Corinthians that he's feeding them milk and hey, it's okay to keep drinking milk, keep eating milk for as long as you like. As long as you keep subsisting on it, then, you know, for years and years and years, you'll be okay. That's not his point. He's doing the exact opposite of that. He's sounding the alarm for these Corinthians. He's saying, yes, you are believers, but he's telling them that they are on a knife edge. 
that living things grow. And if you are not growing, then there is something seriously wrong. If you are not growing, then maybe you are not alive. In Darwin, when, uh, when a baby is born, there are regular checkups with nurses to keep checking in on the progress of their growth. And one of the things that they look out for is ensuring that the baby is putting on weight because that's a sign that they are growing. And if it isn't, then that raises red flags. That makes the nurses pay attention and say, ah, oh, there might be something wrong here that we need to address. It's the same here. Paul is telling the Corinthians that there are red flags in their spiritual growth and he is worried about their spiritual vitality. And for each of us here this morning, we need to consider any red flags that the Spirit might be raising in our own lives. Let me ask you today, Do you look like the world? It's an old Christian cliche, but do non-Christians in your life look at you and think to themselves, you know, there's something different about you. And when I say something different, I'm not talking about, you know, being a nicer person or a, a happier person or a more peaceful person or whatever. Because you can find all of those sorts of things in people who believe all sorts of different things. As a matter of fact, sometimes you find people who are happier who aren't Christians. That's not what I'm referring to when I say that we need to be different. What I mean is that do people look at you and do they see in front of them somebody who has rejected the wisdom of the world, who doesn't buy into it? Do people look at you? Do people talk to you? Do they interact with you? And do they see somebody whose life is surrendered to God, whose hope is in Christ, in whom the work of the Spirit is at work? Do people... Look at you and see somebody whose goals, whose treasures, whose decisions in life run counter to their own? Because if your desires are the same as your neighbor's, if your dreams are the same as your boss's, if the way you spend your time is the same as the way your non-Christian friend spends his time, if you gossip and slander others the same way your co-workers do, if you indulge in the flesh like they do in the movies and on YouTube, if you love yourself more than Jesus, If you look like the world, then you are either an infant in Christ or you are spiritually dead.
The Bible doesn't give you any other option. And if you are the latter, if you are spiritually dead, then you must turn from your sin and be reborn in Jesus through faith in Him. And if you're the former, if you're an infant in Christ, then you need to hear Paul loud and clear. That's not what it means to be a spiritual person. That's not what it means to be a follower of Christ. That's not what it means to be a Christian. Living things grow, and if you're not growing, then I fear for your soul. Now, please hear me carefully because I don't want to discourage the faint hearted. This is a work of the Spirit, it's a work of God's grace in our lives. And so if you are truly regenerate, if you are an infant in Christ, then you'll hear what the Spirit says in His Word this morning and you will confess your sin before God and you will throw yourself at His his feet. Throw yourself at His mercy. Perhaps you find it hard to know what that means. Maybe you're really struggling with the temptation of sin and the lure of of earthly pleasures and earthly treasures. Well, brother, sister in Christ, that is why you have us. That is why you have the church. We will pray with you. We will help you fight sin. We will keep you accountable. We will speak the truth to you in love. And that is why you have a loving and gentle and gracious Savior. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. I am gentle and lowly in heart. If you're discouraged by a lack of obvious spiritual growth in your life, then please remember this. Remember that each person's rate of growth differs. I remember one time I had Eden a a few years ago when she was very young uh, in a playground. And uh, she was there with another boy uh, who was the son of a friend of ours and uh, they were both kind of climbing this rope climbing frame thing. And he was a very, very proficient climber. He was very good. Uh, he was, you know, at two years old, swinging and doing all sorts of like, things that probably I wouldn't be willing to do as an adult. Eden, on the other hand, was still hanging around the bottom and kind of struggling to grab things. And I spoke with uh, the boy's mother who was there. We had a bit of a conversation. I said, wow, just look how great he is at climbing. That's amazing. You know, you can see the difference between him and her. And she said to me, yeah, but listen to Eden talk. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Eden, uh, at, a, at a very young age, was rather articulate. Uh, and again, you could see the difference between the two of them in the way that she spoke. Yeah, well, neither I nor this boy's mother were concerned about our two kids because we understood, we knew that they were growing, they were growing at different rates, and they were growing at different paces in different areas in their lives. So it is in the spiritual life. 
If this challenge to you, if, if this word to you is, is difficult and discouraging, well, Christian, don't look around and be concerned if you think that there are other people who are growing faster than me or uh, I've been a Christian for so many years and, and here I am and you're hearing this for the first time and you're thinking, how, how could I have completely missed this? I should be further along than I currently am. Well, if that's you, remember that what matters is not the pace of your growth, but the reality of it. What matters isn't how fast or slow you might be growing, but the fact that you are growing and that you're doing so intentionally by His grace and through His Spirit. You might struggle with that at different times. You might battle with things that continue to come back. You might battle with sins and temptations in your own heart that continue to come back. But the fact that you are battling, the fact that you are pursuing God, the fact that you are growing in Him is a sign that His Spirit is at work in you. Christian maturity doesn't mean that, you know, you deal with this aspect of the Christian life and, okay, that's done. I'll never have to deal with that again. It doesn't mean that you kind of hit another level and then suddenly, hey, I'm more holy and I don't have to worry about fighting sin anymore. As a matter of fact, the key difference between the spiritual infant and the one who is spiritually mature is simply the spiritual food that they eat. The nature of life for both the infant and the adult, is still the same. They eat, they process, they expel the bad bits. And that brings me to point two. Adults need meat. Adults need meat. Now, I've said meat to uh, keep it consistent with the three-word points of this sermon. But the word, as you can see in our text in 1 Corinthians 3, is actually translated as solid food. And so if you're a vegetarian here this morning or a vegan, and you think to yourself, oh, well, I can tune out now because I don't eat meat. Well, when I say meat, you can just replace it in your mind with whatever meat replacement is preferable to you. Okay? Whatever is uh, the most appealing. At this point... Uh, Sorry, and this point here is is simply to point out the fact that as you get older, as you get more mature, you progress onto more solid food. That's what happens. Babies, they eventually go from milk to solids. Initially, they are pureed solids, but then they become solids. One of the reasons that an 18-year-old doesn't continue to seek milk from his mother's breast is not only because that would be exceedingly strange but also because he needs to have all the many other vitamins and minerals that come from eating solid food. Adults need meat. And so it is with the spiritual life. As you grow, the diet you need changes. The author of the Hebrews uses this same, uh, of the book of Hebrews, uses the same imagery to describe this need for a more solid diet as a person grows. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 to 14. 
For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Notice how he says, the one who lives on milk. Living things grow, and when they grow and they get older, they live on solid food. There's a reason that God gave us the whole Bible as His Word and not just a gospel tract. This infinite God has given us His Word that we will continue to interpret, continue to understand, continue to dive into for the rest of our lives. As much as a gospel tract is a wonderful thing and being used by God to bring about spiritual regeneration in the lives of many people, the reality is the depths and the riches of His Word, of the Bible, is what is needed for the spiritually mature to continue to grow, to continue to feed on. Now, hear me very carefully. This doesn't mean that there are different levels of maturity different levels of spiritual maturity that for some reason the the spiritually mature are the ones who have the real knowledge and that they'll be able to, you know, feed it to you when you reach their level. Remember last week, we we talked about how uh, the error that many of the Corinthians were were falling or or that some people who interpret this uh, text fall into is that they think that there is some kind of secret or hidden wisdom that only the very uber spiritual spiritual people know. No, that's not the point. That's not what Paul is saying. That's not what we mean when we talk about the spiritual infants and the spiritually mature. And the reason for that is because both milk and solid food still belong to the same category. They're both food. And they both serve to grow spiritual people. And as we talked about when we studied Luke 24, the whole Bible is all about Jesus. The gospel is the red thread that runs right through Scripture, is the message that all of the different stories, narratives, poems, proverbs of the Bible continue to point towards. And so whether you're feeding on the gospel in mother's milk or in marbled meat, the essence of your spiritual growth is still the same. It is still the gospel that you are feeding on. What happens as a Christian matures is that they begin to have an even deeper, a far greater and a more all-encompassing wonder of this message as they begin to see it more and more and more in the pages of Scripture. Growing in spiritual maturity doesn't mean that you leave the gospel behind. doesn't mean that you, you say, oh yeah, I'm done with the gospel. What are the... What are the more mature things that I need to be studying and thinking about in Scripture. It means you keep feasting on the gospel in every meal that the Bible serves up. Well, those are lovely images, JR, you might say. So lovely that now I really want to eat a succulent steak or broccoli. 
But you might be thinking, I have, but I have no idea what that actually means. What does that mean in my day-to-day life? Well, allow me to help you with that. Firstly, it means read the Word. If you're not even reading it, if you're not even in it, then you are starving yourself. If you find it difficult to read, well, we live in, we live in a blessed era, era where you can get it on audio and listen to it. If you want to live, if you want to grow, then you need to eat. And so you need to read the Word. And you need to keep reading the Word. Just like you are going to be eating until the day you die, you need to be reading until the day you see Jesus with your own eyes and you don't need to read anymore. Secondly, This is why at our church we have rather lengthy expository sermons. Our hope as elders and my hope as the main preacher at Emmaus Road is that no matter where you're at in your spiritual growth, you will hear the gospel clearly preached and applied as it comes to us from the pages of Scripture. And that you'll see how the gospel continues to permeate through even the deepest layers of life. One of the simplest and most straightforward ways of growing in maturity is becoming a committed member of a local church and sitting under the teaching of the Word every Sunday. Do whatever you have to do to commit to that. Block it out in your diary. Change your habits on Saturday nights. Get the kids to play sport on a different day. Do whatever you have to do to prioritize being with your church on Sunday to sit under the Word. Thirdly, That's also why we, as a church, have topical teaching on Sundays, during Sunday school. Even though uh, we're about to take a break from that for the next few weeks, our desire is that we're able to teach through the big themes and the big ideas of the Bible, as well as what it says about various topics and how we ought to live as Christians in response to them. So another very simple application is to get to Sunday school also as much as you can. And fourthly and finally, if reading the Word and hearing instruction from the Word is eating the food, then discussing it over lunch or meeting up with a more mature Christian than you, seeking to be in discipling relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ, all of those things are the digesting of the meal. God has given you the church for the benefit of your own spiritual growth. You're not designed to eat this food on your own. It's not a boutique restaurant where you can, it's only got space for one to sit. God has designed for you to feed on, to feast on, and to process His Word with His church. Don't waste the resources that God has given you. Brothers and sisters, feed on the Word. Feast on the Gospel. Because by it you will live and by it you will grow. And for our final point this morning, well, how do living things grow? How do spiritual people grow? 
They die to sin. They die to sin. As I said earlier, Paul in verse 1 affirms the Corinthian believers by calling them brothers and sisters. Yet immediately he goes on to say that he could not address them as spiritual people. Their lack of spiritual maturity is clearly not what Paul was expecting from these Corinthians when he received the reports about them. And as a result, he makes it very clear to them the state that they are in. Remember the last few weeks and the passages that have come before this one. Once again, Paul has contrasted the difference between the world's wisdom and spiritual wisdom. He continues to compare the two and to show how God's wisdom looks like foolishness to the natural person. And now here he is saying that he's needing to speak to the Corinthians as though they're people who don't actually believe God's wisdom. He's needing to address them as though they're people who don't actually believe in Jesus, who don't actually live according to the wisdom of God who don't actually look like genuine believers. The reason he had to do that, the reason the Corinthians were like that, was because they hadn't put the flesh to death. A spiritual person walks by the Spirit, not by the flesh. And part of the process of walking by the Spirit... Is that a frog? A tasty meal for anybody. (laughs) Plenty of nutrients, I'm sure. Part of the process of walking by the Spirit is putting the sinful desires of the flesh to death. Spiritual growth is is certainly about knowing, knowing more about God. It's certainly about learning more about Him. But it is at least just as much, if not more, about becoming more like God to grow in holiness. That is part of what it means to be spiritually mature. And Paul would make this abundantly clear in his letter to the Galatians. If you've got one of our blue Bibles, you can turn with me to page 567. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Let's read from verse 16. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Paul here contrasts the difference between the flesh and the spirit. And then he goes on to talk about what the works of the flesh actually look like. He names many sins that are evidences of the work of the flesh. Some of them being the ones that he's talked about with the Corinthians, strife, jealousy. He lists those and then he comes to a couple of verses that many Christians are very familiar with. Galatians 5 verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
Against such things there is no law. If you've been in church for a while, uh, I'm sure you've heard these verses before. You maybe even sang a song about them when you were a child. You may have even prayed, as I have many times and continue to do, that God would grow the fruit of His Spirit in your life. But are you familiar with what comes immediately after this verse? Have you memorized that one? It's interesting that we're so familiar with these verses, yet we're often unfamiliar with the verses on either side. Let's have a look at verse 24 together. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Spiritual people die to the flesh. And that's not a passive dying. Spiritual people actively put sin to death. The Christian is the one who is always actively, intentionally, seriously, and resolutely putting the flesh's passions and the flesh's desires to death. And that is a key component of our spiritual growth. Thanks to my doctor friend, Scott, who is now in Sydney and maybe contracting coronavirus. I've been aware of a process that our bodies engage in called apoptosis. Does anybody know what apoptosis is? <laughs> well, simply put, apoptosis is one of the things that your body does in order to stay alive. Allow me to explain. Your body is made up of trillions of cells. The best estimates are around 30 to 40 trillion. In case you're wondering how big the number 30 to 40 trillion is, I have put it on the screen for you so that you can appreciate its magnitude. That's a lot of cells in your body. And now in order for your body to keep functioning and in order for you to stay alive, something that it is doing that you would not even be aware of is that these cells intentionally at, a, at an allocated time die. Your body does that. Put simply, apoptosis is the process by which your body kills off its cells that it just no longer needs. And if it doesn't actually do this, then it can be harmful, if not fatal, to your body. A good example of this is cancer. Cancerous cells actually block the process of apoptosis, and so that enables them to continue to grow. It stops the body's, the body's natural process of putting cells to death, and it enables fatal cells, cancerous cells, to continue to multiply and grow. Once again, so it is with the spiritual life. Just like the body actively kills cells that need to die in order for a person to keep living and growing, so we as spiritual people 
as those who belong to Jesus Christ, must actively kill sin in our lives. This is how the 17th century theologian John Owen put it. Do you mortify the sin in your life? Do you make it your daily work? Always be at this work while you live. Do not miss a day from it. You need to be killing sin or it will be killing you. You need to be killing sin or it will be killing you. In the same way that a failure in apoptosis leads to the growth of cancer, a failure in killing sin will be fatal to your faith. To indulge in the desires of the flesh or even to just get comfortable with it, to become complacent with it, to start to feel like, oh, you know what, yeah, I'm a Christian, it's cool, but yeah, yeah, I kind of enjoy just doing whatever I want to do. To take that attitude is like having a ticking time bomb in your spiritual life. How are you putting sin to death? How are you killing it? Do you recognize sin in your life? And do you then just rationalize it away? Have you given up the fight because it's just too hard? If you're getting disillusioned with Christianity or if you're discontent with life because you don't have the things that you want or if you would never even consider doing something for the sake of the gospel that is going to remove you from the comforts of life or take you away from the things that you want, if you are living it up and not surrendered completely to Jesus, then my friend, you just might be growing cancer cells. Kill sin or it will be killing you. Husbands, Are you growing in Christ so that you can be like Him, so that you can lay down your life for your wife in order that she may grow, in order that she may be sanctified? Wives, are you growing in Christ so that you can love and submit to your husband and encourage him to lead you in your spiritual growth? Parents, are you nurturing your children? Not just physically, but also spiritually. Teaching them about their own sin. Teaching them about their desperate need for a saviour. For all of us, are you alert to your own flesh? And are you crucifying it? As a church, my prayer is that we would be spurring one another on in getting about the business of killing sin. My prayer is that we would be people 
who don't want to hide sin away in the dark, who don't want to be afraid of bringing it out into the light. My prayer is that we would be a church that quickly forgives, that greatly loves, that shows compassion and mercy and grace to one another, that we would be a church that never tires of encouraging one another towards holiness, towards faithfulness to Christ. My prayer is that we would be a church that might be able to, as Colossians 1.28 says, present everyone mature in Christ. If you have turned from sin and put your faith in Jesus, then you have been born again. And one of the signs of that new life is growth. Because living things grow. And so by His grace, put sin to death, feast on God's Word, and look to Jesus. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart. It is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Let's pray. Father, may your spirit speak to each of us here. Lord, for any who are yet to be reborn, may you bring about a regenerating work. For any who are infants and need to hear Paul's rebuke this morning, to hear what your Spirit is saying, May you snatch from the fire. For any who continue to seek to live for you, enable us, help us by your grace and by your spirit to kill sin to feed and to feast on your word. That we may all grow and mature and be presented to you on that day. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.